You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. to decide what kind of king you are going to be. Welcome everybody to the 602 Club. I am your host Matthew Rushing and I'm really excited to be here to, to be talking a little uh, Black Panther. I love that a few weeks ago we talked about Black Lightning on television and now we are diving into Black Panther and I'm also really excited to have a guy whose name is in the credits and his name is is none other than Nick Anastasio. Nick, how's it going? It's going great. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me again on the on the uh, in the club. Absolutely. You know what was fun is uh, so obviously with the Marvel movies you have to stay through the credits. So when we got to the section with ILM, I pointed out your name to some friends of ours that were with us, and I was like, I know that guy, and they're like, No way! So it was really. <laughs> I was like a superhero for a second. Thank you. That's that's really sweet. I had a friend who um, my best friend. Uh, Martin is um, African American, and he had a lot of a lot of friends, you know, who were going out in in force to see the movie over the weekend, you know, which was really exciting to be to be, you know, part of that. You know, I felt I felt really privileged, and and uh, so we were, you know, we were actually hanging out at a cafe waiting to go see it, um, and he had other friends who were going to see it before us at another part of town, so there was kind of it was a little bit staggered, right? And, uh, and so his friend is texting him because she, I know her as well. And she knew that I'd worked on the film. So she was asking him, I think that, I think their screening was just ending. So she was texting in the theater saying, where's Nick's credit? So I, so I can, so I can see it and, t- and point it to people. And somehow she missed it. So she actually, uh, she told me later, she basically went right back in the movie and saw the movie again. So she, so she could wait, so she could see my credit, which was really, really sweet. That's awesome, man. Well, I mean, I, I love being able to, to do that too. Of course, when I, I watch the Clone Wars, and and it's it's so fun. But um, I'm excited to dive into this one. Uh, before we do that, uh, just couple quick housekeeping things you can find us on itunes at itunes.com slash track fm that's where all of our shows are uh while you're over there on apple podcast uh, give us a star rating and review it i mean we say this every time but it's totally true it really does help more people find the show when they're looking for general geek shows in fact uh as nick can attest he found the show just because he was looking for podcasts and that's how we became friends true story so, That's a fact. Yeah. So, it, I mean, I love that. And I've had so many people that that has happened because of being in the podcasting world. So, uh, again, if you like the show, hit us up with a star rating review. We'll mention you on the show, too. 
You can find us on Twitter, TrekFM, Facebook at facebook.com slash TrekFM. Uh, we've got the listeners-only discussion group, which uh, so many different people from around the world are in that discussion group talking about the shows and things going on here on TrekFM, and that's the Babel Conference. Type Babel into the search field on Facebook, or uh, if you're on our website at trek.fm, you can hit discussion on any of the menu bars, and that'll let you right in. Uh, and then, of course, um, if you'd like to send us an email, a great place to do that is over at trek.fm slash contact. You choose a show, you choose the 602 Club, uh, and then that email comes to me and any of the hosts that week, and so uh, we'll be able to converse with you that way. But, um, Nick, I wanted to ask you something. For me, I'm not a huge um, Marvel comic reader. I've slowly started to dip my toe into that, but it's hard. I mean, comics, it's it's so vast. But I wanted to know um, if you had a history at all with this character and the comics. Um, yeah, I did, uh, but... Uh, only limited, uh, in indirect, I should say. Um, I I read a lot of Black Panther comics, but not his comic book titles um, as much. Um, so I read a lot of stories that featured Black Panther, mostly in the Avengers, um, and sometimes with other groups. Uh, and but I wasn't I wasn't so familiar with his his uh, one 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 title. Um, but again. You know, one of my best friends is a huge Black Panther fan. And so he filled me in on some of the background characters um, and kind of gave me an overview of who they were in the comic books and sort of the specifics. Um, a lot of the a lot of the characters who are featured in the film were more specific to his own title. So I didn't I mean, I knew Killmonger. Right. Um, but and I knew Claw, but I didn't know some of the other characters who, who were featured um, in the comic book before. Yeah, you know, um, for me, I have not uh, read a lot of, I've read very small amounts of, of Black Panther, and that's because I just picked up um, the Coates run uh, that he did. I have volumes one through four, and I've read volumes one through two, uh, and so actually some of the 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 things we actually see in the movie, uh, there are a couple of lines actually um, that he T'Challa uses in the comic that they actually use in the movie. So I thought that was cool. Mm -hmm. uh, but I haven't gotten a chance to unfortunately uh, read through any more yet. I've just had too much on my plate to dive in, but uh, I enjoyed what I read. And so, you know, for me, uh, it's always interesting because for the Marvel movies, I come in more of a novice. And so the only thing that the movie has to do is to capture me by itself, which is kind of fun because, you know, whereas something else like, uh, you know, a, a DC film or a Star Wars movie or something like that, uh, it's got expectations that it has to live up to. And, you know, these Marvel movies, for the most part, don't have that for me. So they actually have less to do to capture me, which is great. Um, I, I actually enjoy that process <laughs> sometimes. Um but uh, I, I thought it would be kind of cool just to dive in because there's some really, I, and I have to say this right up front, I think that the, the, the hallmark and the strength of this movie is its characters. And it very much, I think, is this year's Wonder Woman. And I want to say that up front, I think it's wonderful that that is actually happening. Um, you know, what Wonder Woman did for superhero films, I think uh, Black Panther this year is doing for superhero films. And I think it shows that in the end, all we want are good stories with great characters. Um, and in the end, to, 
what they look like is not as important, um, but it can be important to so many people around the world. And that's what's awesome is that this is blowing up, you know? Uh, so it's, yeah. it's great to see that happening. Yeah, no, I know. I completely agree with you. Um, and uh, I come at it a little bit, you know, like I, like I said, I think I'm probably a little more familiar with the character than you. Um, I, I think I had the best of both worlds. I had enough familiarity through, I, I read a lot of Avengers when I was a kid and he was in the Avengers a lot. Um, and there were some basic broad strokes that I knew about the character through his stories. Um, and you know, what, what I've always loved about him is that in a little way, like, like, uh, like the Submariner or Doom, who are other Mar Marvel characters, he's someone who comes at it, not necessarily from the superhero standpoint or the villain standpoint. He's as a king, someone who is always concerned with doing what's right for his people first. Um, and, um, and if it so happens to fit into the agenda of, of the superhero's cause, whatever that is, then, um, he's going to go along. And so I, I had that and it was cool to see that definitely being implemented and respected. So I felt like there was some canonical, you know, um, and then, but I had enough of a blank slate that I was really just coming into the movie also largely like you going in just for the experience, even having worked on it and knowing it. And uh, it was really wonderful to be taken kind of by the tidal wave that you were describing, you know, the similar phenomenon as Wonder Woman. Um, and, and I think it's, it's just, it's fantastic. I mean, you know, I, I talked about, I mentioned my best friend and, and, you know, the community around him and, and just to, to see the excitement, to, to feel any, any group of people, um, whatever, whatever walks of life, uh, all of a sudden being, you know, feeling like they have, there's something that really allows them to, um, like, like a flag, you know, flagpole, something that they can embrace and love. Um, the energy, you know, around that is great. You know, there were, yeah. there were people coming out of the theater when we were going in, um, who, who had already seen it twice. There was a whole family. It was really funny. There was a family coming out of the theater, five or six people, including two little old ladies. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and they were so excited and my buddy Martin stopped them, you know, and he was asking them, you know, what they thought of the movie and, and they were just ecstatic. They were, they were, I mean, these ladies would have, must've been at least in their like mid late seventies and they were giddy, like, like schoolgirls. Um, and they said, Oh, you know, we've already seen it three times. It's, it's awesome. Blah, blah, blah. I, I think it's, I think it's great. I, I, I'm right there with you. And I think part of the, the thing that I loved is that Civil War set up this character for me, and he was one of the standouts, I thought, uh, of that film. And, and actually, it was that movie. Even Civil War, I like Civil War. I think there's some issues with it. But the characterization and the, the storyline that we walked through with T'Challa in that was really strong. And it left me with a strong desire to actually see Black Panther. And so getting to to spend more time with him, I thought was really fascinating. And I wanted to ask you this, Nick, because I thought it was interesting to have this on the heels of The Last Jedi. And um, he has a wonderful conversation with Nakia where she tells him, you know, he gets to decide what kind of king he wants to be. And he doesn't have to be tied to the mistakes of his ancestors and he can choose to be different. And what I thought uh, about that is that it really embodied to me the struggle of Luke Skywalker in The Last Jedi in a lot of ways. And yet, in the end, I really felt like 
that T'Challa handles this and that the thematic element of figuring out what to leave from the past in the past and what to, to bring forward with you into the future was done so much better here through the storyline we get with T'Challa's struggle of coming to grips with who his father was, who what Wakanda has been in the past, and what it could be in the future. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, I think it's definitely one of the big, I would say, two central themes, in my opinion, of the film. And like you said, I think that it's those are archetypes, right? It's the story of it's the story of of life. It's the story of growing up. Um, and those are very well. It's it's very well, very clearly delineated in the film. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it's almost like a Freudian archetype, you know, you have to, you learn from your father and then you realize your father is flawed and then you must symbolically kill your father so you can become your own man, right? It's part of the cycle of life. And, and I think that this is very well represented in the film in, in a way that is strong and deep, but also very accessible. It doesn't matter where you come at, you know, when you look at the film, it's, it's not done in a way that preaches too much the message is there it's strong and i think it'll stay with you whether you're seven or 77 but it's very accessible and i think as a kid um it's done in a way that that'll that'll reach you and and you'll get it um and that, and i think that translates you know, the, the way that it's written um the way that it's acted I, I, I must say that i think like you said one of the greatest strengths of the film is its cast um, the actors who play the roles and the way that they acted, they they believe the roles, but they also do it in a they they act the roles in a way that is just I don't want to say cartoony because that that somehow has kind of a negative connotation, but just stylized or or a little a little aside from reality enough um, that that you feel like again it's 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 more accessible towards younger viewers probably um and some of the visuals I, I think also help in a way um those you know the scenes where t'challa talks to his father in the spirit world yes the world um it, it, you know they look they look very and, and we we worked on on those scenes at ilm and i i'm not privy to to um direct communication with the with the director regarding this particular issue but to me it always felt like they looked I mean, obviously, there's things about the lighting, you know, this kind of aura going on in the sky, which you wouldn't have really in Africa. But beyond that, just the saturation of the images and the 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 the, the kind of depth or lack thereof of the backgrounds, to me, is actually meant on purpose to tell you this is sort of a of a fables, a, a kid's storybook moment. Um, and so, rather than kind of have have this hyper real African scene, it becomes really like what is what what is it's the words that really support the scene. And that makes it, I think, more impactful, especially towards kids. It, it really, uh, to me, those scenes where he visited the, um, uh, the ethereal plane, um, it, it felt like the Panther King, the Lion King, uh, mm -hmm. you know, very much uh, in line with that, especially that whole moment in the Lion King where he sees his father in the clouds, you know, and mm -hmm. uh, I really liked that. I thought that that was really interesting. And I, I thought Chadwick Boseman specifically in those scenes when he was dealing with his father, especially the second time he visits and he tells, you know, all of these ancestors, you were wrong. You know, I thought mm -hmm. that that was his acting there was so good and it was such a strong scene because, 
you know, um, I thought that that was another thing that was really fascinating to watch him deal with. You know, he he has to try to figure out what kind of king he wants to be. And he doesn't want to buck the ancestors because for them, there's ancestor veneration. But at the mm-hmm. same time, he realizes that them as kind of like these godlike figures, that doesn't make them perfect. And mm-hmm. and that's a tough thing to have to learn um, when you've kind of always seen them as being, you know, more of kind of uh, in, in the state of perfection. And coming to grips with that, I think, uh, w- and watching him deal with that and then the choices he makes um, – as opposed to the choices, you know, you see somebody like Killmonger make. I just loved that kind of mirroring of those two, and I felt like Chadwick Boseman, he, he brings this character to life in a way that you you really do uh, want to continue watching him. I, I was re-watching uh, Captain America with my wife, the first one, and Chris Evans does the same thing with Cap. You know, I think um, Robert Downey Jr. does the same thing with Iron Man. They kind of embody these characters and make them their own, and then they just are those characters. And I feel like, you know, with just the little bit we got with him in um, Civil War, he had already done that. So coming into this, you know, I already felt like I knew this character. Now there's just even so much more depth. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, if you use, again, those two scenes, you really see just those two scenes are a perfect example of what you were talking about in terms of his journey as a character, his arc. Um, the comparison you were making to Luke Skywalker um, and the clarity with which it's it's delineated in a way which is is it's in frame in camera you know it's it's not it's not it's implicit not explicit but still very strong you have the first scene is set at night the other one is set during the daytime in this kind of golden hour the first one you have T'Challa saying that he's not ready to be without his father and his father telling him, you have to live. You have to, you have to have your own path. The other one is the exact opposite. You have T'Chaka, his father, calling him and saying, come with me, be reunited with me. You know? And then you have T'Challa saying, no, I must correct your wrongs. I can't just, I can't just, I can't just abandon my responsibilities. And and so I really, you know, you see how the two in a very simple but but very strong way are, are are kind of working as this mirror, like you said, which I think then really helps you learn how you can honor the past that you come from, honor your father, honor your heritage. But at the same time, you honor it not just by saying, oh, we're going to stick to dogma, but by saying, OK, this is what's good and this is how. This is where I step in now and add and correct and improve and build upon. I don't just repeat. Well, and that's something that Shuri says in the film, too. I love when she challenges him. You know, just because something works doesn't mean it can't be improved. And I, I think that's the whole point here is saying just because things work doesn't mean that it's always best. And and that's the... Mm-hmm. You know, the hard thing that they have to deal with, I think, with Wakanda is that it feels like a utopia, but it's not. There are still things that that could be better, could be done better. And it's, you know, Mm -hmm. as we see in the film, Chadwick Boseman's T'Challa is struggling with the fact that this and he he's had his eyes open that is only a utopia for a very small amount of the world and holding that to yourself isn't that wrong to keep others from having that possibility too? 
um, and 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 not helping you know um, humankind around the world. Uh, so I think that uh, watching him make have that struggle, you know, um, I have deemed many of the Marvel movies in the past, but I feel like next to the Winter Soldier, this is the first Marvel movie that I feel like is really trying to say something, and I love the struggle of T'Challa and Wakanda and they're wrapped up together of what will they choose and um, I I thought it was just fabulously done Um, and again I think it transcends some of the things in the movie that I will ding it for later because the characters and the thematic elements are elevating it above some of I would say um, the tropes that the movie can't overcome in other areas this and the characterization is fantastic and so um i love the fact that uh nikita Wulonga is in the film too and i really liked her as nakia mm-hmm. and i thought she did such a great job of being somebody who challenges t'challa in a way that he can hear I thought that mm-hmm. that was really nice to have that love interest be somebody who was there to help open his eyes. And in the end, it's not she that changes, it's he that changes. And I thought that was really cool. Yeah, she, you know, she does that to him. She even does that to the character of Okoye, his 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 general. You know, they, they have that scene where, again, it's it's a it's a really cool. It's very simple um, and it's a, done in a way that's neither preachy nor dumbed down where it's it's almost, it reminds me a little bit of the, the kind of dialogue that Star Trek has, you know, where it, it will pose an issue and it doesn't even really try to necessarily make you take side. It says, okay, here's one point of view. There's another point of view. Now you think about it and think carefully. And, you know, that scene where the two of them are discussing right after T'Challa has lost his second challenge and they think he's dead. And she says, well, we have to, we have to, we have to do what we can to, right things and okoya says well but he won the throne legitimately and and they have this little discourse about about what's right you know the letter of the law the spirit of the law and that that's also again i think that it's a very it's a very important topic to pose and it's also very important to not not try to to necessarily make people take one side or the other but it's more important to do what the film does well in that in that sense which is to even if you get the sense that they have their own opinion to pose it in a way which lets you think about it because this is how i think we we can come up to the right answers ourselves as if we are made to think as opposed to fed answers and i think the movie does that really well it keeps balancing itself and that's talking about characters by also using using Killmonger's character. You know, he's, in my opinion, the best villain that Marvel has written so far because he's someone you empathize with, someone you understand. And more than that, there's a good point-counterpoint, like I was talking about with, uh, with uh, Okoye, where between him and T'Challa, you go back and forth and they... It's like a discourse. It's like, it's like a conversation saying, well, okay, I see your point of view, but, and the person answering saying, yes, I understand that. However, and up until the very end, and even at the very end, you know, in the last scene, you get the sense that neither of them 
is really trying to prove the other wrong. And both of them sees, while they don't agree, they see and understand each other's point of view. And I think that's also a very important lesson, especially today um, in an age where we tend to try to shout out and shout down people across the table from us, regardless of opinions. They're not trying to do that. They're just saying, well, just consider all the point of views. I I, uh, I love that you brought that up because I, I think it and it's a good time to because there's so much tied into the Killmonger character um, and he, he really is kind of at the heart of everything here because so much of, of what happens thematically happens through him, too. But I, I loved the way that that character taps into so many different things, whether it's um, the abandonment issues that happen Um and, uh, you know, his whole society abandons him um, and, and, and leaves him for, you know, to whatever will happen. Uh, it's, it's, it's pretty awful. Um, but at the same time, too, you get this kid who, who, who also sees that happen. He gets radicalized, as they call it, which I loved that term because radicalization is, is the taking of pain from the past or, or the present and turning that into hatred and revenge. And that happens to him so that all he can see then is the evil that's happened in the world and none of the good. And when you continually feed yourself that, that's um, where you become an us versus them type of thing. And I love that Killmonger is just, he is so hell-bent on making people pay for what they've done, whether it's happened to him specifically or he's just seen the, the from the past. And and I think what the movie does beautifully, as you were talking about, Nick, is it says, it, it shows these two different views and it and it definitely takes the side of where we get with T'Challa, but it also allows us to experience what happened to Eric. And I think that's an important thing because part of what happened to him isn't his fault, and part of what happened to him is. And you put those two things together, and they they create the problem that we see on a lot of the world, which is this focus on building hatred in people and creating fear in people and creating division in people. Um, and he is the embodiment of everybody who just becomes it's us versus them. And I have to say, you know, Michael B. Jordan just plays it so perfectly um, because there is a sense of deep-seated pain and hurt in his eyes that you see, but then there's that fire of hatred that almost just burns that out. And it's a good representation, I think, of a lot of different places in our world. Um, and, and, and sometimes maybe I think <laughs> I have to remember, um, I need to look inside my own heart. Is that there somewhere? You know, I th that's what I like about this character. I, I have to agree with you. I think in the Marvel films, he is probably at least top three villain-wise because his villainy is so tied in to every part of this story. He's not tacked on. He's not just, you know, the CGI thing that we have to fight. 
he's integral to every part of this story and he's made by so many different people's decisions as well as his own and and one of the things i think is so smart is that they never take away the responsibility of him but they also never take off the responsibility say to t'challa for the choice that he made and i i love that because it's so important for us to remember that people aren't just made by one choice they're made by many and some of them aren't even their own yeah, I, I mean, again, I, I, I agree with you 100%. And I, I think, you know, you talked about, uh, uh, you compared T'Challa's journey to Luke Skywalker's. And in many ways, uh, Killmonger's journey reminded me of Anakin Skywalker's journey. And I think that, I don't know that that was intentional. I think that, that if I had to guess, I would speculate that it's more that both in, in, in very smart and, and deliberate ways, George and and Ryan tapped into some of these universal archetypes about our nature, and you talked about your your own heart and 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 the duality that we have in 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 ourselves, and how, like you said, a lot of the bad things that come out of us are very oftentimes caused by things that happen to us, which initially we didn't have any control over then there's still the fact that at some point you make the conscious choice to then act in a way which to, is to then perpetuate or create more wrongness, you know? And so you have, again, this duality of somewhere you were or are a victim, but somewhere you also have the responsibility of then acting in a bad way. And, and I think that you, you see that journey that he goes through again, like, like Anakin, he's someone who, um, had he been loved, had he been trusted more, had he not been abandoned, could have been a completely different person. You have, you, you definitely, in my opinion, I felt like I saw a character who realizes, who sees that deep down inside that, that, you know, I could, I could have been a good person, but who believes it's too late. It's too late for me. And, and I think that the, the end scene between him and T'Challa really, really reminded me of the end scene between Anakin and Luke, where it feels like it feels like T'Challa has redeemed him by showing him love, by doing what no one else has done his whole life. You know, after defeating him, instead of killing him, instead of just arresting him, instead of just putting him away or knocking him out, what does he do? He gives him his the his the wish that he's always had his whole life to see the sunset on Wakanda and just this one act of love when, when this person didn't have to in any shape or form, give it to him is enough to make him understand and redeem him, which is also why I think he, he dies and he kills himself. And he says, which is a beautiful line, you know, that I'd, I'd rather choose death over bondage. And I think it's a powerful and true line, but I think it's also his way of saying just like Vader, You've redeemed me, and now the only thing I can do is is to die because that, that this is how this is how we all move on. You know, I I, the, the, I can't. This is the end of the journey for me. Um, and uh, you know, I think that in there, there's a lot of messages. Again, a lot of lessons to learn, and it's done in a way which is there's a lot of deep ideas, but it's not preachy, and it, and it's still clear and strong for. 
for, for kids and everyone. I, I love that he's like, uh, basically, I could have been somebody, Charlie. I could have been a contender. Um, it just reminds me of On the Waterfront with that. Um, but I, I love that idea, too, because the other thing that I, I think that you see there is, um, and, and through the, the two, um, you see the difference between somebody who grows up in a place where he knows that he's loved and cared for and uh, nurtured um, and, and and the difference of, of not having that. You know, T'Challa has a fantastic family. He's a wonderful mother and father who love him. He's got a, you know, crazy beautiful sister who's just goofy and and super smart you know and keeps him in line in, in many ways um he he's surrounded by amazing people that are there to support him and then we see the other side of you know eric who, who has nothing he has none of that because it's taken away from him it's not his choice it's taken away from him and i i think um it's the that's the micro level, but the macro level is the way that Wakanda itself has taken itself away from the world to help the world. Um, and it has fostered this, you know, this beautiful thing unto itself. Uh, and yet it's it's hurting the rest of the world because it's not sharing what it has um, in wisdom and, and technology in a way that could truly help the world maybe have less wars and less hate. Um, and I just think that's really interesting because there is a part of the movie, too, where Eric taps in to a restlessness that's happened in Wakanda that's been simmering under the surface. Um, and it comes with Okoye's, uh boyfriend uh, choosing to join sides with him because he's seen in action for too long. And I thought that was a really interesting thing. They tapped into something that people had dismissed as not maybe not really being there and and interestingly you know this movie is being made two years ago so so many of the things we're dealing with now mm-hmm. we're we're barely on the radar right um politically and yet it became prophetic in a lot of ways and i i just i think that's interesting because it, we really get this this sense of like tapping into this feeling of inaction that leads to anger that leads to hate that leads to suffering and i mean it, it becomes a, again it becomes there's so many great star wars parallels here and i feel like you were right you know we're, we're seeing is these archetypes really being played out and i think that's one of the things that makes this movie so strong in, in a lot of ways and why it's resonating with so many people um is because those those thematic elements that are timeless that'll still stand up even when this political regime in the United States and some of the places around the world are gone, it's still going to mean something because these are timeless themes that we need to be reminded of over and over again. Absolutely. I mean, I think, like you said, it doesn't matter, you know, sadly, in a way, what regime is is standing where um, colors of flags or nationalities. There's always going to be at some level, small or big, that lesson. Um, because because those are universal themes and it's part of our perpetual effort to grow as a species and as individuals i think that you you know you you connected you you part of what you were talking about also also um goes into the second central theme of the 
film for me, which is unity and the idea, you know, united we stand, divided we fall. I think, I think the child's best friend, you know, um, Okoye's boyfriend um, is a perfect example. And again, they crafted a character who kind of is there to sort of put out one point of view and they do it in a way which is they're not trying to indict or really, really, you know, say, okay, here's, here's the side that's wrong and the side that's, that's right. I mean, I think you get the sense again, the, the movie's not shying away from, from implicitly letting you know how it feels, but it's not trying to shove down its opinion in your throat, you know, and it, and it well, because, because the, the characters are all sensible people, intelligent people. And so rather than say, well, here's, here's the bad guy or the person who's wrong and the good guy, the person who's right, you, you, because you believe all the characters, you also believe their point of view, even if you disagree, you understand why, why they could be misled or why they could think what they, what they think. And, um, you know, so they, they do a really good job, I think, at, through this character, showing you why a person um, might be led to believe that isolationism might be the better choice, that um, isolationism, which then leads to you know, expansionism might be an even better choice. Um, and I think that doing it in a way which, again, makes you listen and relate, empathize to that character is important rather than just say, that's a bad guy. This person is wrong. Because then by listening is how you can actually have a dialogue and get out of a situation rather than say, you're wrong, shut up. And, and, you know, that is what successfully leads to the moment where, you know, it, there's almost, I mean, there's a confrontation, but when it comes to Okoye and him, you know, he, he lays down his weapons and, 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 you know, kind of sees, sees the futility. He looks around and sees what's happening and sees, like you were saying that in the end, by cutting yourself off, even to be strong, it's a very short-sighted way of thinking. And you hurt yourself more than anything in the long run. And he sees that literally happening around him. The first people to suffer are his people. And, and that's what that's really what causes him to decide to lay down his weapons. Well, and, and I like that so much. I think the strength of this film and the importance of the message of this film, especially for today, and I'm sure that it will continue to be, is it's the, the film champions we, not us versus them. And this idea that it's so important to have us together, that we are stronger together. And I love what you said because I think it's so vital is that he recognizes as he looks around, he sees that it is his people being hurt the first because he's chosen an us versus them. And when we make it that way, um, we don't have any recourse but to fight each other because it becomes binary. We don't listen. We don't think about the the complications in life or, or the ways in which, um, you know, one could be partially light but not quite all right. And, and I think that's the thing about this movie is that it's not showing us that there are any easy answers. What it's showing us is that the, the right way to do this is the hardest way. It's to mm -hmm. sit down and listen and, and find common ground even when it's really tough. And to not just um, call names or to hide from each other or to want to burn the world to the ground. 
and start over. You know, uh, um, it's interesting that uh, <laughs> that again, Killmonger reflects uh, Kylo Ren and Luke Skywalker. We'll just burn it all down and we'll start over. Um, you mm-hmm. know, and and what we see is that T'Challa chooses to take the best of the past, leave the worst of it behind, and create something with that tradition to build something beautiful for the future, uh, to create a new and better version of what we have been, um, to to create Wakanda 2.0, and mm-hmm. uh, much like uh, Shuri might do. Um, and I think that's the thing that, that's so beautiful is that it also isn't one of race or color or creed or anything like that. It's 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 not about what we look like, you know, because Killmonger keeps talking about people that look like us, but T'Challa never falls into that trap of saying it's only about people that look like us. We need to remember that we are in this together. We're the family of humanity, you know, and we can't just be helping people that look like us. We have to help everybody because, as again, a Star Wars thing, you must realize that you're in a symbiotic relationship. What happens to one will affect the other. And yeah. T'Challa realizes this, I think, and I love that he does, and I think it's the power of this movie. Um, and, you know, what I like, too, is that when you see Wakanda, Wakanda is this kind of utopia, so you understand the struggle of if we open ourselves up, what is going to happen to what we've created? Um, and I love that 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 for what you see, you can really empathize with the the wanting to keep yourself separate because you are are not going to be the same. It is just the reality that if you start to open yourself up, there is going to be change. But it can also be changed for the better, not just the worst. Yeah, and I think that um, you know the very the smart thing about choosing to have this dichotomy at play within a fictional country and a fictional place um, is is very it, it's a very smart choice and a very strong one because by doing that, it really helps you. Again, it's the it's 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 science fiction and fantasy at its best. Um, it displaces the issue in a way that's not going to, you're not going to immediately consciously think about until after the message has been distilled. Um, and within this fictional community, it starts to to create that dynamic of the earth versus them as two sides emerge within that world also, right? They, they talk about the us versus them in terms of Wakandans versus people outside Wakanda. But that, in, in, in turn, creates within Wakanda an Earth versus them dynamic of those who agree with that and those who disagree with that. And that is, you know, the, the, the great thing about that model is that within then the fictional world of Wakanda and the Wakandans, they can really teach you the lesson that in the end, there is never an us versus them. There's only us. There's only us. Right. You can draw any kind of fictional border through a nationality, a language, a, a flag or whatever to 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 invent the idea of an us versus them. But it's always us and all the characters in their own way through the story come to that realization through the film, which then can lead to 
in the epilogue, this beautiful line, you know, wise men build bridges and foolish men build barriers. And that's really, in my opinion, I mean, that, that's to me, that, that was the, the strongest, the most effective and powerful message of the whole film. You know, every character has a journey that leads them, even Killmonger, to realize that. And, and, and so that the, the final message, you know, moral meaning and message of the film is, is contained in that line. Wise men build bridges, foolish men build barriers. Well, and I think that the, the strength, too, is the way that they show Wakanda walking the line between there is going to be a need for protection, but that doesn't mean that we don't reach out. And, and and showing the reality of that, because there are going to people who choose to make it us versus them, and that means we will to have to defend ourselves. Um, and we'll do that vigorously. And, and not denying that fact, but also not reaching out the hand and at least offering, um, you know, to come together. And I, I think, it, again, it's the strength of this movie is it's not denying the realities of the world we live in. Um, it's also just showing us that we can't become slaves to our baser instinct, um, which is to just make it about us versus them. And it takes more of us as human beings to to rise above that basest human instinct to be better than that. And that's what we see happening. And I love that about T'Challa uh, making that choice, you know, and having these people around him who help him make that choice. Um, and, you know, I, I think coming back around a little bit to some characters, um, I love T'Challa's sister Shuri because I think that she is the one who's most ready to make that change and be out there, you know, because she's younger and, you know, kind of hipper, obviously, than anybody else in the movie. Uh, and she's so in touch with, I think, the technology and the ways that she can help people. And, of course, we already know um, that she's been helping <laughs> uh, one white boy, and she helps another one uh, who's broken, and so, which is a plot hole in and of itself, but... Mm. Well, let's let it go. Um, I, I just love her, though. I, I think that the way she's played and the the vibrancy that she has, um, but the way that she challenged, again, her brother there at the beginning where she says, just because something works doesn't mean it can't be improved. And, and throughout the entire movie, she is trying to improve things any way she can. Um, and it doesn't matter who they are, what they look like, what color they are. Um, she's willing to give her of herself to help in any way po any way possible and i think um she is an inspiration in a lot of ways to her brother because of that and i really really liked that yeah she she's a, i mean she's a fantastic character um you know and and again they they have this wonderful way in the film of addressing issues without ever becoming preachy or judgmental um she um like you said she she embraces when there's a lot, almost almost a throwaway line, you know, when she first greets um, Agent Ross, Martin Freeman's character, and she she calls him a colonizer, right? But she does it as a joke, and it's played very well. It's written well, it's played well and directed well because it acknowledges a fact, but it also, like you said, it shows how it gives you a model for how how we can we can acknowledge the truth, but we can also rise above and move on and. and and go beyond she she doesn't stop she doesn't judge 
she doesn't forget, but she's also, she's also, you know, her arms are open and she, she doesn't, she doesn't prejudge him as an individual. And, and I think in that little moment is, is another really strong nugget of a lesson for uh, the importance of acknowledging things and limitations, things that have happened, um, but also the ability to move forward and not be stuck in the past. I, I think one of the things that I love about what she does is she does not allow the past to control who she is or who she'll be. And she's not a slave mm-hmm. to it. And I think, again, I think that's, and, and that word is, is particular there, I think isn't so important because we do so much become, I think, enslaved to what happened in the past to us personally and to what's just happened. And it hurts us, you know. Um, I, I think, you know, obviously Star Trek Five talks about this issue big time. You know, do we become um, just a slave to who we were and to what happened or do we find a way to overcome which is why i think kirk says in those moments i need my pain they make me who i am i don't forget what it is but i allow myself to find ways to overcome what's happened and Mm -hmm. and i think you're absolutely right she and i think t'challa and nikia are all characters who find ways to overcome what has happened now you know for them this isn't something that's happened to them right you know they grew up in wakanda it's the coolest place on the planet to grow up on i mean seriously um but they also realize that it has happened to others that did look like them and so and i'm sure that they're probably wakandans who may have gotten um stuck in that um, and and forced into that kind of lifestyle, uh, uh, just because they happen to be in the wrong place in the wrong time. So, I I, I really like that. Again, a, a movie that that doesn't deny the past, but also doesn't want us to get so locked into it that we can't move forward. And I think in, in a lot of ways, um, what we see there is is kind of the MLK version of how to move forward, right? Um. And mm-hmm. I really like that, again, that that kind of um, idea is what's being championed. And I thought it was interesting to have Martin Freeman's character of Ross back. And I'm wondering, is he going to become the new Coulson of the Marvel Universe, where he <laughs> just kind of randomly shows up, you know? And Because uh, <laughs> I'm all yeah, for he, it, because yeah. he was great. He was. He was. And again, he, you know, he was there for comic relief to a certain degree, but they didn't overplay it. Um, it never became too cartoony, too goofy. Um, it was just the right dose of, of him kind of relieving some of the tension or, 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 or making things a little light, light, more lighthearted at times. Um, it would be great if he becomes kind of like, you know, the, the, uh, the uh, uh, you know, sort of Alfred Hitchcock of the Marvel movies where you just look for him. <laughs> oh, I would love it. Um, no, I, I think he was really fun. And like you said, I think it was a, a smart thing that um, and, and I, I really want to call out because I think this is really important. This movie allows the humor to be a part of the story and the characters in a way that feels organic instead of forced. And uh, it reminded me again much more. Um, my, we just rewatched Captain America, and that movie was very much the same way. Um, 
in that the humor came from the situation in the character, not just that we have to hit a punchline every so many seconds. You know, I felt like this one, it just, it, the characters that were the funniest were the characters who just happened to be like that. And, you know, even Ross, his humor comes more from one, it's Martin Freeman playing it and just a look can be funny. Um, but there were other points of it where it wasn't just like, I don't know, it's not just you're going for, it's more like the nervous laugh of like, oh, I'm going to die, and so I say something, you know, like, I don't know. I, I just really appreciated that, and because for me, a lot of times, the Marvel movies, I think, um, it has felt like recently that it's just been about how many jokes we can squeeze in instead of making sure the jokes actually are in line with and a part of the story in a way that helped the story. And I felt like this movie really did that well, like some of the past Marvel movies that have, like um, I I think of like Iron Man, the original Iron Man, or, you know, the Captain America film, uh, both one and two. You know, the humor really works in line with everything else that they're doing with the story. Yeah, I think uh, I think what what you're describing to me, and I definitely felt it, and I agree with you, is um, playing the straight man humor versus the situation yes. comedy humor. Um, it's it's what Gene Wilder would describe. You know, I, I remember an interview with Gene Wilder, and and the interviewer asked him how you know, how do you do it? How how are you, where do you find it to craft these characters that are so funny? And, and Gene Wilder responds and says, well, the secret is that my characters don't know they're funny. And, and so that's what, that's what makes them funny is in, in, in their point of view, they're just being themselves. And, and I think that for me, it's a question of taste. I've always responded to that type of humor more. Um, and I think this, this film definitely featured more of a, of a return to in my opinion, what Marvel has done well when they've done that, which is the 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 humor being part of this of of what's happening, but it's not it's there's no there's no breaking of the fourth wall where the characters and the scene is self-aware that it's being funny. It just plays out to the moment as it is. And then so for that reason, you see it as being funny. Um, Martin Freeman does that for sure. And in my opinion, huge shout out to Andy Serkis. I mean, he, he is, I've always loved Andy Serkis and, and, you know, it's, it's like, uh, for me, it's like those, um, I'm like those, uh, those sports fans who, who take pride in having always backed up their, their team, whether they were popular or not. Um, you know, I've always been a huge fan of Andy Serkis and, and always said that in my opinion, he's a terrific actor. He's an Oscar level, you know, actor. And if any role, um, should should really put in my opinion just silence anybody who detracts of, of whether he has you know the chops to be a what they call you know a real actor um or not it's this one because he does a great job at being again a guy who i mean you completely believe that he is that person right and and he is this over the top villain who is funny in a way kind of like it reminded me a little bit of jack nicholson as the joker you know but but he's not He's not trying necessarily to make you laugh. He's not he's not playing it for the joke. It's just the way he is. It's just that particular intensity that he lives that that makes him wacky. And like you're saying, you almost have this nervous laughter, um, but it's very effective. It's very effective in the scene. 
I completely agree with you. Uh, I mean, he was hands down so, I just so good in this role because he's so out there, but that's what the character needed. And he does it in a way that feels organic to the character. As crazy as that is, the over the top nuts of Claw feels organic when it's coming from Andy Circus. And I, I, I 100% agree with you that I felt like. It was so well done from him, and I was really glad that, um, you know, he was in the movie and that they gave him just a lot of fun things to do in the film that really allowed him to just be uh, and, and allowed him to play with that role in a way that I felt like, you know, made it rise above, you know. And, and of course, he comes to an end <laughs> in the movie, but I just I really liked Andy Serkis's portrayal of Claw. I just I felt like it added a a, a sense of like crazy, zany, um, maniacal villainy to the movie that wasn't there. Uh, it wouldn't be there if he wasn't there. So I really liked that. Um, one of the things that I thought of about the movie as I was watching it, Nick, was this idea of the truth will set you free because so much of the beginning of the movie is based off a lie, which the lie of Wakanda, one, which of, you know, for the rest of the world, what is Wakanda? Um, but two, specifically, there was the other lie that reminded me a lot of, of the way that the Dark Knight handled things. And then, of course, leading into the Dark Knight Rises about the lie of Harvey Dent. And what we get here is the really the lie of T'Chaka, and who he is and what's happened with his nephew and keeping this secret and trying to keep it safe, but that it almost ends up destroying everything that he loves. And what I really liked about this idea is that, and in a lot of ways the way the Dark Knight Rises handles it, is that in the end the truth can be painful, but it will truly set us free to a better future if we live in the truth instead of in the lie. And that lies always come back to haunt us you know that I, I love the line from um the patriot where he says i've long feared my sins would come back to haunt me and the price would be more than i could bear and that's exactly again i think what happens here in this movie we almost end up in a place where a lie destroys the very thing that you're trying to save with the lie and I love that this movie shows that it really is only the truth that you can live in and and um, have any sense of, of peace in your life for good because you have nothing to hide. Um, and I just I thought that that was really well done in the film. Yeah, I, I agree with you completely. Um, and I think, you know, I mean, just to show how effective that message is and how universal it is. It reminds me of something very similar. My mom used to tell me when I was a kid um, and she used almost in those words. She used to tell me there will be times in your life where you lie. It's not you're not going to be able to always abide by that that lesson. But try to remember that there is no lie that doesn't come out one day or another. And and so even a lie that is done for the right reasons, quote unquote, for noble reasons, what you think is to protect someone or that makes sense. It will come out 
and when it comes out, every lie hurts. And the 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 more time goes by, the more it will hurt and the more it will damage. So even when you lie for what you think or what you tell yourself are good reasons, it will always come out, number one, and it will always cause pain, more pain than the truth. So no matter how afraid you are of telling the truth, no matter how afraid you are of the pain that truth causes sometimes, and it does, always remember that lying in the end causes more pain. And you see that at play. I mean, I think that you you see that in a way, and I can't quite articulate it, but for me, it came together in the scene between um, Killmonger and his father when he is when he is under the effect of the of the medicine. Mm, yeah. And because you you see you have these wonderful reunions between T'Challa and his father. And because of the lie that has the, the lie that has completely pervaded both of their lives in the way that they were victimized and then the way that they victimized others, you see the two of them at what should be a moment of, of really kind of enlightenment for their two spirits being completely unable really to communicate and to find peace. Both of them are crying and you can, you can tell that they're trying to communicate to each other, but they don't, quite reach one another and it ends i think what breaks their heart is that they can tell that that scene ends without without either of them really being able to embrace the other and to me that that really reminded me of that message that that when you live a lie at the end of the day no matter how long you live no matter how prosperous no matter how much you can kind of polish it with well it made sense or i you know it didn't damage me it didn't hurt me at the end of the day, inside, that's always what it's going to cause is is that sort of like unresolved sadness and pain. Yeah, I really I really agree with that. Um, and I, I thought it was it was so strong in the movie. Um, and again, it's it's one of those things that was just really well done uh, in the film. And I, I just love that, that there are so many things that were, um, I thought, point on and just spot on for the movie. And now. Um, I did want to talk a little bit because there are a few things I felt like that the movie didn't do as well. And, and and really, to me, those kind of revolved around a couple of things. As much as I liked the characters and the, the thematic elements, I did feel like that there were a lot of places where um, the story was very obvious and a little bit too cliched in some places. And, and I was never surprised about anything that happened in the film. And, and that was a little bit frustrating to me um, to kind of be able to know exactly what's going to happen pretty much at every moment of the movie uh, and, and not be surprised in any story since like that they didn't switch up enough of those archetypes or tropes or anything to really allow me to have any kind of like, oh, moment. Like, there wasn't any of that. Um, and then I, and you know, uh, I have to call out, Nick, I think for <laughs> um, a Marvel movie, which I, we've come to expect to have, you know, great um, effects and everything, there was some pretty dodgy CGI. Um, I'm calling out you, Rhinos. Um but there are some other places where I was just like, they spend a lot of money on these movies and it still looks like that, you know, like and this doesn't even have the Justice League excuse of having half your movie reshot. Which, by the way, you know, 
I I didn't have a problem. Like the Justice League, I don't know. That's a whole other discussion, I guess. But I I didn't have a problem at all with. I think it's it 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 was hurt by a lot of this kind of pre preconceived you know biases against against DC. Um, um, and yeah, and if if anything, that. like you said. It, it, to me, it's a sign that it's there's not really a type of effect that's better, or you know, Marvel does it better than DC or DC. You know, I I I, I thought Justice League was a great story, a great film, and, and you know, there was there were some moments that had effects that that didn't work for me, but it never hurt the film. And I think that I had the same the same going on for this one. Um, I was never out taken out of the story i felt like like and this supports the theory that i've always had or kind of the argument that i've always had that at the end of the day if you focus on telling the right story um in the moment in the scene in the whole picture and even if you break it down to the level of the shot as an effect as an effect shot you know jaws is the perfect example if if your if your shot tells the right story you're fine. It doesn't matter how shoddy your mat lines are or your animation. If it has too much too much motion blur, if you're if you're if the moment is right, if you if the choice of shot of camera angle, if the action of what's happening tells you the right story, the viewer will fill in the blanks because the viewer will want to believe it. Um, now, I will say, you know, I do agree with what you said in terms of the um, the sort of like the the tropes, kind of the beats, the predictability of it. Um, I don't necessarily, I, it's hard for me to tell, right? Because I worked on the film. So I knew, I knew 95% of the film going in. So I, I, it, it's really hard for me to tell how much of that from, for me, oh, just yeah, for me comes sense. from knowing the film or, or structural problem or not with the film. But, but I would say again, and, and, and with that caveat, if anything, if I was going to be critical of anything, it wouldn't even be necessarily for the, this film in particular. I think for me, it signals to me, and I've had this conversation with a couple of other people. I think I may get, I may be getting to a point where I'm a little saturated with a particular type of superhero film. Um, and so that model, you know, I, I feel like I might be getting in 2018 where people were getting at the end of the 70s or early 80s with the end of the Western genre, where it was like, okay, yeah, we 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 get it, we've seen that, we know what's going to happen. There's the big cattle owners and the loner who wanders into town, and we're going to have this scene and this scene and that scene, and it's going to end with a high noon duel. And so, you know, that that model start is starting to kind of feel to me like, unless you are really letting it grow and pushing it beyond that i'm gonna be less interested but again that's that's not necessarily the movies themselves individually being at fault it's kind of the genre um sort of you know having to tell us in my opinion whether it's able to grow beyond itself or not um you know i feel like logan for example is is one movie that didn't yes. fall into that and actually used the model and and went beyond it so I'm kind of challenging other superhero films and I don't care whether they're Marvel, DC or any, you know, for many, it doesn't matter. It's not about that um, to sort of, if they're going to stay within that, that, that uh, playpen, you got to start playing with the toys differently. 
you know, I think that's, that's a really good state. I really like what you're saying because I was talking with another friend of mine and I'll, I'll keep him anonymous. Um, but uh, the idea of, he, he asked me, and I thought this was a great question. Can you spoil a Marvel film anymore? Because I do feel like there is, um, and, and I think this is not just a Black Panther thing, but I think that there's kind of an overarching way in which all the movies happen, you know, and you know what the beats are going to be and they're going to hit them. Uh, and there isn't anything truly revolutionary. And, and, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? That, that there's kind of a routine. But I do think you're absolutely right in the sense of like calling out the Western. Like you got to that point where people were just kind of like done with the genre. And we have had such an oversaturation of the formula i think that we do have to be really careful and and that's one of the things obviously star wars is having to go through right now to figure that out and a lot of places are having to do that um but finding something fresh bringing something unique to the genre is really important and again i this is the great thing i think about black panther is that the way that it did overcome that is it gave us compelling characters and it gave us resonant themes that cover over a multitude of sins in the movie. And I think that's the most important thing that I take away from this. And and, and again, I think it's one of the most important things ab about this type of genre. Like you said, you do. You need to be able to find a way to, to cover those things over. If you're going to use them, make sure that your characters are spot on. Make sure that your themes are, are deep and give somebody, somebody something to think about so it's not just, oh, well, that was the popcorn action flick and I've seen it before and there wasn't anything all that exciting. You know, um, This is able to overcome that. But I do think that Beyond the significance of this film's, um, you know, main character and, and where it takes place, the actual execution of the story and everything wasn't something that was revolutionary. There were other things about the movie that were revolutionary, but it, the film itself isn't. And I don't know if other movies would be able to get away with it if they didn't have some of those other things. Uh, and, and that's what kind of, I think, um, you know, uh, sadly we live in a hyperbolic world where everything is either the greatest thing ever or the worst thing ever. And in the end, I do think that on a whole, Black Panther becomes something that's greater than average, obviously. Um, and I really enjoyed, uh, and I'll be honest, it's, it's definitely, uh, I have a ranking of Marvel films and it's in my top eight. So, I mean, that's pretty good uh, out of uh, 18 films. Yeah. No, I, and I, I don't disagree with you. I, you know, again, I'm, it's, not, it's not a cop-out for me. It's hard for me to tell because I, I felt the same things you described. But I honestly, I was, it was almost like, kind of like, you know, having your, the roof of your mouth burnt from having, having had pizza that was too hot. And then the, the next day you're eating something and you can't quite tell whether it has no taste or whether it's you can't taste it because your roof of your mouth is burnt and so knowing the film inside out having worked on it for 10 months i i couldn't i couldn't tell whether the times when i wasn't engaged because i knew what was going to happen 
was something that was an issue with the film itself or just me because I, I just knew the film having worked on these scenes over and over and over and over and over. Right. Um, if I, if I was to draw any comparison, I think where I really kind of feel exactly what you're describing is when I saw Wonder Woman, um, I did not think, I mean, it's almost word for word what you said. I did not think that it was a movie that was extremely well executed, strictly speaking from the filmmaking standpoint. Um, but I loved the movie for what it did. I loved the movie for what it stood for. I loved what it achieved. And I loved the way it was embraced. And I believed that it deserved to be embraced the way it was. And, and so, like you said, I was, it was a conscious choice, but I was completely willing to give it a pass and forgive. I don't even know if I would go so far as to call it sins, but it's flaws because I felt like it, it rose beyond that and, and did something that was relevant and important and good enough that those flaws didn't matter or, or mattered so little that it, it was not worth really wasting time on, you know? Yeah, I, I think, that too, um, part of it as well, and, and one of the things I want to compare it with Wonder Woman because I think that's a great thing as we're kind of wrapping up. Um, one of the things that this movie does is it takes its mythology seriously, which is something some of the other Marvel films haven't done. Um, they didn't with Thor. They made him not a god, and then they kind of backtracked a little bit with Thor Ragnarok um, and, and kind of moving them back in more of that god status. Uh, here, they fully embrace the mythology of the Black Panther with the, the Panther goddess Bast and the creation of Wakanda. And I think that's truly important because you're earnestly, you're creating a movie that has earnestness to it, saying, no, we embrace this we embrace it as the reality for these characters in this world and that is awesome and that's what wonder woman i think did so well is that it just embraced full-on the mythology and so it allows you to feel the weight of the world and the reality of it because they've just they had a full-on appreciation and no apologies were made for what was happening in the film or where it came from or anything like that. And I think Wonder Woman and Black Panther both have that strength by just embracing the mythology that they are created from. And that helps us as a viewer then just embrace that world along with the characters and along with the story. And I think both of these films had a earnestness about them in that um and it, and they they do they internally take themselves seriously um you know there there's fun yes. in the movies but they take themselves seriously and i think that's the thing that we as an audience really do respond to exactly i mean like you said you know the way you ended is perfect when you said they take themselves seriously and and in in the most complimentary way when you are dealing with subject matter, a world that is so on the edge of being unbelievable in terms of what it is visually, conceptually, I think the only way you can you can really treat it, execute it, is if you you have to go again. It's what we were talking about for the comedy, the comedy of the straight man. You you have to be you have to put yourself in an environment where where in the scene to you it's just the normal world. 
and and you're not trying to cover up the fact that it's it's a completely over the top fantasy you know for you it's that's just the world as it is and and we don't question it because we've never known anything else and you know it's it's going back a little bit to star trek as a comparison that's star trek is at, at its best you know when you have when you have a guy in front of kirk who has black makeup on half his face and white makeup on half his face and it looks ridiculous from from a from a, from a realistic scientific standpoint but when the characters when everyone in the scene embraces what it what it is takes it seriously as in like this is what it means and we're not we don't question ourselves we're not trying to convince you of what it is because we believe what it is you completely embrace it and you don't question it because you get what they're trying to do when it tries to do the opposite which is to get ahead of it by coming up with techno babble and you know justifications left and right is when it falls apart because they're telling you they're signaling yeah we know it's bogus and we're just trying to we're just trying to make up for it yeah absolutely man um well hey uh and we could i think we could probably talk more about the film but uh we should probably <laughs> wrap it up and uh i wanted to ask you so maybe out of 10 how do you think you'd rate black panther i you know I think if I again, if I didn't know the movie going in, it's, it's hard for me to, to to try to guess. But if I have to guess, if I was just coming at it fresh, um, I would probably giving give it a, an eight and a half on, on a scale of one to ten. Um, knowing it through and through, and so having that kind of giving me giving me again this sort of um, not numbness to it, but but it does remove me a little bit of the engagement that I could have otherwise it, it dings it, but I I'm hard pressed to tell that that's the movie's fault because it's not, but it, I guess knocks it back down to probably, I would say, uh, if I can, if I can get really particular, a 7.75 claws, uh, out of 10. <laughs> oh, I like that. Um, uh, yeah, I'm going to, you know, cannon hands. Um, <laughs> That's right. Um, you know, I, I, like I said, you know, the story and the, and the strength of the themes. Uh, it, yeah, it's not the story, but it's the strength of the themes and the characters and and the cast. I think that that keep this from being a mediocre movie, and that's awesome. You know, um, and and I think I, I'm trying to be very consistent because it's definitely one of the things that I really dinged um, some of the other Marvel movies for is is being kind of predictable being too humorous and not ha feeling like they really have anything to say this movie doesn't do that um, this movie definitely has a point it takes itself seriously it takes its world seriously and it takes us seriously by trying to help us see the future can be better if we will come together and i like that i really do that's the kind of thing I want from these type of movies, you know, um, kind of the thing that George Lucas always mm -hmm. said was what Star Wars was for, which is to teach us something. And I think, you know, in a lot of ways, comics have always been like that, too, when they've been written really well. And so for me, um, you know, this is this is easily um, seven and a half out of out of ten panther necklaces so i i'm i have a hard time choosing which one so yeah the uh i i don't think i'd go for the gold one either i, I would be like the chala that's a that's a little 
a little too much. Yeah, I don't really do the bling well. That's just not me. Um, I my wife will tell you, you know, I don't wear jewelry really, and even my wedding ring is is very, um, you know, understated, just because it's just not me. So yeah, I'm right there with you. Um, but hey, Nick, uh, I loved having you on the show, and um. Really appreciate you being here, uh, but I uh, want to thank our associate producers here uh, through Patreon, Ken Tripp and Davis Grayson, uh, for making sure that uh, this show, uh, the Six or Two Club, and every other show on the network keep coming to you each and every week. Um, really appreciate those guys and their dedication to that. Um, now, Track FM is a huge network, and there's there's really no way for us to make this happen without you. Patreon.com slash TrackFM is the place to go, and it allows listeners from all over the world to be able to support this network and make sure that all the content on TrackFM keeps coming to you each and every week. Uh, and it's just too big of an enterprise to, <laughs> to have happen just from the hosts. So again, you can go over to patreon.com slash trek.fm. Every little bit helps each and every month. Uh, and we have many different ways uh, that we like to give back to you, uh, whether it's early access to content, um, producer credits, sitting on the patrons roundtable, and more. So again, go to patreon.com slash trek.fm and see how you can be part of our team. Uh, now, Nick, again, so cool to have you here. I love having you back on uh, on the show, let everybody know um, where they can find you if they wanted to talk. Uh, you know, maybe some more Back Panther or what else? Maybe you've got going on. Sure. Well, thanks. Uh, first, thanks for having me back. Uh, it's always always a pleasure, and and um, it's it's an honor to be back. Um, and I just want to say, you know, to anybody listening out there, if you want to be part of a community of people who share the same things you like, who are always inclusive who are respectful at the same time as they, you know, have different opinions. It's really worth taking the time um, to become a, a patron of the network of Trek FM. I am one and, you know, I've been one for, I think, a year and a half now. And I, it's, it's, a, it's a great, great community. And, and like you said, there's tons of stuff. You really feel like you, you're not just donating, you actually become part, you get a lot in return. Um, so really, really worth it. Um, for anybody who wants to um, be in touch, uh, I'm not too much on social media. I'm kind of taking a sort of a semi break, which is really, really feeling awesome. <laughs> I love it, loving it. But I am on Facebook every now and then, uh, so people can look me up just for, by my name. Um, and um, I would say a good two thirds of the Facebook presence I have is on the Babel Conference, which is Trek FM's community uh, uh, in Facebook community page. Um, and so they, they'll, they, they can find me, you know, not as much as I used to be, you know, because again, I'm kind of sort of doing a, uh, uh, Facebook and social media cleansing a little bit, but I'm still there. Um, I'll still pipe, pipe in and make a comment here, here and there. Um, and those will probably be the, uh, I'm not on Twitter. So those will be the, the two best ways to find me online. Awesome, man. And, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Matt rushing zero two as well as on Instagram under the same name. Uh, you can also uh, find me here on the network doing the orb with Chris Jones talking about deep space nine. We hope to be back soon for everyone. Uh, you can find me over on the nerd party network talking owl post with Drea Kaufman as we were walking through each and every chapter of the Harry Potter series. Now we've just started the goblet of fire. So make sure you check that out. It's been a lot of fun. 
Uh, I am doing with my esteemed co-host John Mills, Aggressive Negotiation, as we talk about Star Wars each and every week. Uh, we dive into a little corner of the Star Wars galaxy and just talk about it, um, whether it's a wacky question or diving into, you know, one of the uh, arcs of the Clone Wars, talking about a movie, music. I mean, we just, we cover it all. So hope you'll check that out. And then last but not least, doing a show with my friend Courtney called Cinema Stories. And that's where we kind of talk about the morals, meanings, and messages of films through the lens of faith. So I hope you'll check all of those out. You can find them wherever you get your podcasts. But thank And speaking of aggressive negotiations, sorry, Matt, I'm just cutting you, um, cutting you off for just for a second. Um, shout out to Jedi Master John Mills. Um, and um, to anyone listening, uh, not just an amazing Star Wars podcast, not just probably, I mean, to me, the best Star Wars podcast there is out there, but also an award-winning Star Wars podcast. I'm going to say it because otherwise this guy's going to be too humble to say it himself. <laughs> well, thank so you. There you go. <laughs> we are, yes, uh, we did win a Parsec Award, so, um, and it was, it was super exciting. Uh, we're very honored humbled and i would say proud that 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 did happen so um yes and i hope everybody will join us there it really is Uh, john and i uh we've become the best of friends and um i think it's what helps make the show great is because we just like hanging out talking star wars together so um but thank you so much for joining us on the 602 club and y'all come back now you hear (laughs) 